How are you today? Good. Okay, brother and sister, let us pay respect to Sifu Sifu Constellation. Let's go to each other. Bye, Chili. Please be seated. Okay, so uh, from last week, um, we tried a slightly new format where instead of going around to read, I'll read everything and then I'll pause at different juncture for you all to ask questions or for me to give further explanation. So we are now at page 113, second paragraph, uh, part of the happiness visible in this present life. This is the introduction. Um, so there are three kinds of happiness and happiness visible in the present life is one of them. Yeah. Uh, there's happiness in the next life and then ultimate happiness which is to attain enlightenment. So we continue from last week, page 113, second paragraph. Contrary to certain popular notions, the Buddha did not agitate for the abolition of the Indian class system and attempt to establish a classless society. Within the Sangha, however, all caste distinctions were abrogated from the moment of ordination. People from any of the four social classes who went form under the Buddha renounced their class titles and prerogatives. Becoming known simply as disciples of the Satyan Sun, that is, of the Buddha, who was from the Satyan clan. <clears throat> Whenever the Buddha and his disciples confronted the Brahmins' claim to superiority, they argued vigorously against them. As our text shows, the Buddha maintained that all such claims were groundless. Purification, he contended, was the result of conduct, not of birth and thus accessible to all to those of all four castes. The Buddha even stripped the term Brahmin of his hereditary accretions and hearkening back to his original connotation of holy, holy man, defined the true Brahmin as the Arahant. See Majima Nikaya 98 not included in this anthology. Uh, so, um, <clears throat> so, this is interesting that uh, Venerable Bhikkhu Bodhi highlighted that contrary to certain popular notions, the Buddha did not agitate for the abolition of the Indian class system. Yeah? Uh, in the Buddha's time, there was already the class system. Uh, while he spoke against it, he did not actively uh, try to establish a classless society. For the most part, the Buddha and his disciples do not actively do Pro, uh, what we would call the kind of proactive uh, or, or pro-society activism in any form. Yeah? Rather, he was concerned about how individuals can become liberated, how they can live their life in a harmonious and meaningful way, how they can uh, 
as happiness. Uh, aside from the text, I would say that um, one may think that, hey, why didn't the Buddha do any of that? But if you think about it, society at large, society at large consists of individuals like yourself and myself. So uh, the Buddha, in a way, was was working towards happiness uh, in the deeper sense. Yeah? Because if individuals are not happy, whether there's class or not, we are not happy. Think about it. Today in Singapore, we have no class. But are we that naturally happier? Not necessarily. Yeah? If you have, if we still have departments in our mind, class or no class, we'll be unhappy. Now. Uh, the class system does impose certain distinction, but in some cases, it's more of a claim to purity. So, should should the claim to purity or not um, determine whether you are happy or not, whether you are free of suffering or not? Yeah, it doesn't actually. In one of the uh, sutta which should be included inside here, uh, he actually had this conversation with the, the Brahmin. And in the back and forth, uh, the Buddha uh, illustrated how a person is seen to be uh, pure, not by birth. Yeah? So he went through the first four of the five precepts, yeah? killing, stealing, sexual misconduct and lying. And he asked the Brahmin whether if anybody were to do all these four, uh, regardless of the class, would this person not be censored by the king, apprehended, punished by the king, banished by the king. And the Brahmin replied honestly that, yeah, of course. Yeah. Likewise, if anybody, regardless of the class, were to abstain from killing, stealing, sexual misconduct and lying, then wouldn't people look at this person as being pure? Yeah. So it is by our action that a person is seen as pure, that a person become pure. Purification goes happens through our actions, not by our birth. Yeah, so, um, interesting uh, part here is whenever the Buddha and his disciples confronted the Brahmin's claim to superiority, they argued vigorously against them. This is very different from our current Buddhist attitude where we think, Aya, don't quarrel. You know, oh yeah, don't argue, don't argue. Yeah? This is more a reflection of our Chinese culture than the Buddhist teaching. Uh, in another class, a student actually, before I said anything, I asked them what would they do. And that student very honestly said, For me, I, I don't want to argue with them. No point. This is nothing very sensitive. But, which is true. In Singapore, it can be quite sensitive. And you say the wrong word, who knows? Maybe something. <laughs> Worse can happen to you than the person who have those kind of strong views, you know. So um, in that class, I highlighted uh, on a case by case basis, on an individual basis, we may have our own uh, traits. Yeah, we have our own style, our own character. Some people are more confrontational, whether Buddhist or otherwise. Some people uh, don't feel comfortable to be confrontational. Yeah. I've met people, the moment you ask them, not to, not to mention confrontation, they just talk to somebody, they, they can't 
they, they, they just freeze, you know. Uh, but normal chit chat, hey, how are you? Okay, but when you want to ask them to make a statement, or tell us. So we have different style. So in the past, I always insist, no, as Buddhists, we must make a stand. But nowadays, I don't think in that way. Because I, I've, maybe it's age, maybe it's meeting a lot of different people. I come to realize that, yeah, we all uh, deal with situations differently. Yeah. So having said that, what does that mean? It means that we recognize our own style. Uh, not not that it's a limitation, but our different way of approaching a matter. Yeah. But we should not, as a result, take that as the common stand that everybody must take. Yeah. Whether it's confrontational or passive bystander. So if a person feels that like they are not ready to confront, sure. But they shouldn't stop others from saying, hey, that's it, that's it. But you notice that both those who are confrontational and those who are bystander, they both want others to do the same thing. Yeah, including myself last time. I also, why, why don't you speak up? We must speak up. <laughs> yeah. uh, now I'm more of, a, of the attitude that uh, do what you are comfortable with. Yeah. But with this knowledge, if every Buddhist were to take a bystander approach, then after a while, those who are nominal Buddhists will not have someone to point them to the true teachings. Yeah? In the Buddha's time, it was very different. Maybe because we can say that, oh, because it's the Buddha, then how about his disciples? We can also say that, oh, because they are Arahants. Uh, but not all of them are Arahants, you must remember. Yeah? Whenever the Buddha and his disciples confronted the Brahmins claimed to superiority, they argued vigorously against them. But today, how many of you have encountered Brahmins? You may encounter Hindus, but not Brahmins. But this should not just be limited to Brahmins. It should include to anybody else, from any faith at all, who make a, a claim of superiority. Yeah? Now, but you must make, take note, huh? when the Buddha argued vigorously against them, I mean, When the Buddha is said to have argued vigorously against them, um, they, the Buddha never make false claims against them. Yeah. Yeah, never make false claims against them. And never incite public unrest. So there was no occasion where the Buddha was uh, charged for inciting unrest. Yeah. In Singapore, um, no one should be inciting unrest. Yeah. So don't make provocative statements against others. Uh, but if you uh, make statements that are factual, uh, no one can fault you for that. Yeah. Or you can state your own, our own stand. For example, in many interfaith circles, yeah, during dialogues, during talks, seminars where ministers are there, uh, those government officials are there, I openly state, and sometimes the, 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 the funny thing is, right after the Christian, uh, the, the, the Catholic priest, the Hindu priest, and so on and so forth, the Muslim imam, who well, talk about their belief in the God and so on, then I come in and say, by the way, Buddhists do not share in this belief of a creator God. Yeah. Uh, I have not received any warning whatsoever for making such a statement. Because this is about our belief. Yeah. I, we don't go around saying that 
your belief is right or wrong, but belief is belief. <laughs> yeah, belief is belief. As long as we can all agree that that is a belief, then good. If anybody accepts that what they are saying is a truth, then they must be able to stand by it yeah, and prove. Instead, like tomorrow I'm going to uh, Nanyang Girls High again. Uh, the past two times I was there, I shared with them about the first number truth. Yeah, and I asked them openly, yeah, do you all agree about this, this first teaching? I never say it as a truth first. I just asked them, do you agree? And all of them agree. And when I go through the, the different conditions yeah, that is listed inside the first number truth, they all agree. So I ask them, this applies regardless of whether a male or female, young or old, isn't it? All yes. And this is the, because it's a truth, this is the fact of our life. All of them agree. Then I told them exactly why it's called the truth, as I've mentioned before. Yeah? So nothing wrong with that. Um, this last section here, talking about the term Brahmin, uh, you will find that if you read the Pali Canon, the term Brahmin appears in many places. And most often, when he is referring to his disciples, in particular those who are Arahans. So you will notice that he actually, uh, in one of the sutta, highlighted to the Brahmin, saying, the Brahmins of old, yeah, the word Brahmin actually means purity, someone who has purified themselves. Yeah, not just someone who repeats the words passed down. Yeah. Uh, so he openly uh, go back to the original meaning of words and use it as his. Yeah. And then he use it on his own disciples, calling them Brahmins, yeah, the true Brahmin. Yeah. Now, while it's not it's not apparent from this. When we talk about the Buddha's criticism of Brahmins and so on, Sifu has also uh, looked at some of the texts and reflected how much of what Buddhists are doing today are Brahmin-like that the Buddha criticized. The Buddha highlighted that one should not simply be repeating words passed down and not be able to uh, verify or like a certain that correctness. In the previous set of texts, there was mentioned about the question of truth. Are you a discoverer of truth by faith uh, or simply, simply by hearsay? Yeah? Have you discovered the truth? Then after that, have you actually um, uh, attained to the truth? Yeah? So as Buddhists, why is it that uh, Sufu and many venerable schema highlighting, we must work towards the verification of the truth and it's because mere recitation itself is insufficient no, insufficient okay so next the next two selections suggest guidelines for political administration during the Buddha's time two distinct forms of government prevailed among the states of northern India in which the Buddha moved and taught monarchical kingdoms and tribal republics. As a spiritual teacher, the Buddha did not prefer one type of government to the, to the other, nor did he actively interfere in affairs of state. But his followers included leaders from both types of state, and thus he occasionally offered them guidance 
intended to ensure that they would govern their realms in accordance with ethical norms. So, um, this is quite uh, quite specific for Buddhism. Yeah? We typically don't interfere with affairs of the state. Yeah? We, uh, there's even a stipulation that we follow the law of the land. Yeah? Uh, so, in, from what I know, in Western Buddhism, uh, some of them take on a slightly different approach. They, they found justification to be proactively um, not so much interfering, yeah, but to be involved politically. Yeah. Some of them, uh, some of them, do this because of the background of their lineage. Yeah. Like for example, some of them from Vietnam, yeah, uh, they were they were literally persecuted. Yeah, because when when communism took hold of Vietnam. And then uh, there was a lot of a lot of problem in that sense. Yeah. Uh, that's why a whole group of them actually ran out and then went to France. Yeah. So if, with that background, you can see why some of them would take on a more proactive stand and say that no, we cannot just you know hands off. Because if we hands off, then the, the whole state is against religion. Then that's the end of Buddhism. Yeah. So these are things that perhaps later on, as we go through the different texts, we can explore. Next, the opening scene of the Mahaparinibbana Sutta, the narrative of the Buddha's last days, text 4,6,4, gives us a glimpse into this tumultuous phase of Indian history when Magadha, the rising star among the northern monarchies, was expanding in influence and absorbing its neighboring tribal republics. In the passage reproduced here, we see King Ajata Sataru, uh, sorry, I pronounced the Sanskrit term, is the Tali is Ajata Satu. Yeah, so the ruler of Magadha, setting his sights on the Bajan Confederacy, the largest and best organized of the tribal republics. When the Sutta opens, he sends his chief minister to inquire from the Buddha whether he has any chance of success in waging war against the Bajans. The Buddha questions Ananda about seven conditions of social stability that he had taught, earlier taught the Bajans, concluding that as long as they keep to these seven principles, as long as these, these principles remain in force, the Bajans may be expected to prosper and not decline. He then convenes a meeting of the monks and teaches them seven analogous principles of stability applicable to the monastic order. So, um, you would think that if someone come, go, go to ask the Buddha such question, uh, then the Buddha will, hmm, let me find out. <laughs> okay, uh, you will win or you will lose. But instead, the Buddha don't do that. Huh? Yeah? Think about it. This is a very specific case where someone is asking the Buddha for a prediction. Instead, the Buddha highlighted present-day karma, yeah? present-day action, how you behave now, that would affect the outcome. Yeah? So should we learn from the Buddha or should we learn from masters who tell you that, oh, they can predict the future? <laughs> no, 
And the seven principles are very interesting. One of them is a group that meets frequently yeah, and not infrequently. They will be united. A group that discusses openly and not have discussion. If a group don't have much discussion, then they will not grow. Buddha says a group should meet frequently, should have this open discussion, yeah, and so on. You will find that later when we look at this text, uh, it almost sounds like the kind of principles that <coughs> uh, that is quite standard today. <coughs> yeah, uh, basically mostly about open open communication, yeah? open communication. So he applies that to the Sangha as well. So we actually have these seven yeah, inside our teachings. So since the eventual triumph of the monarchical type of government seemed inevitable, the Buddha sought to establish a model of kingship that could curb the arbitrary exercise of power and subordinate the king to a higher authority. He did so by setting up the ideal of the wheel-turning monarch, the righteous king who rules in compliance with the Dharma, the impersonal law of righteousness. See text 4,11. The Dharma that he obeys is the ethical basis for his rule. Symbolized by the sacred wheel treasure of the world, uh, wheel treasure, the Dharma enables him to subdue without force all the nations of the world and establish a universal reign of peace and virtue based on the observance based on observance of the five precepts. See text 4,65. Yeah, this is what we call the Dhamma Chaka Raja. Yeah? So the Chuan Lun Sen Wang yeah, in Chinese. Yeah. Um, take note, huh? um, this paragraph is uh, an introduction and also a bit of interpretation. Yeah, there's a bit of interpretation introduced by uh, Venerable Bhikkhu Bodhi here already. Yeah. Uh, it is, from what I've read before in the Pali Canon, there's no clear indication that the Buddha was thinking, ah, uh, this form of government is collapsing, the other one is starting. I better uh, give this teaching so that uh, uh, they were the, the monarch would, will rule in a certain way. Yeah, there's no clear evidence on that. So part of this is actually a bit of interpretation by Venerable Bhikkhu Bodhi. Yeah, uh, because um, this real turning monarch. So you see, he did so by setting up the ideal of the real turning monarch. Yeah, but if you look at the Pali Canon, the real turning monarch is is actually not something that the Buddha introduced. Yeah. Whereas the Buddha actually in the in the Pali Canon highlighted that in the past there was there were real turning monarch who is like this, like this, like that. Yeah. So uh, as opposed to just giving a teaching to highlight a principle, it seems to be more of reference to a, a historical uh, uh, event, so to speak. Yeah. So I, I, I want to highlight this. So this part is more like a bit of interpretation involved. Uh, but the principle in both cases is still the same. Oh. The real turning monarch rules for the welfare and happiness of his subjects and extends protection to all within his realm. 
even to the birds and beasts. Among his duties is to prevent crime from erupting in his kingdom, and to keep the kingdom safe from crime, he must give wealth to those in need. For in the view of the Nikayas, poverty is the breeding ground of criminality. This theme mentioned among the duties of the wheel-turning monarch in text 4,65 is elaborated in text 4,66. We here see a wise chaplain advise the king that the correct way to end the plague of theft and brigandage in his realm is not by imposing harsher punishments and stricter law enforcement, but by giving the citizens the means to earn their living. Once the people enjoy a satisfactory standard of living, they will lose all interest in harming others. The country will enjoy peace and tranquility. Yeah. Um, in, uh, previously, when we touched on precepts, uh, I highlighted something to this extent as well. Uh, sometimes, in particular when we talk about the first precept, uh, people often ask, is committing suicide uh, okay? Yeah. Is it breaking the precept? When we ask this question, is a valid question, but such questions should be asked in a way after if it has happened already. But because if you ask this question, then it seems to be, oh, if it's okay by the precept, then it's okay to commit suicide. If it's not okay, then you shouldn't commit suicide. Now the question is, have you ever heard anyone who wants to commit suicide because he thinks it's okay by the precept? <laughs> Never. Right? Nobody wake up and think, hey, I heard that it's okay to commit suicide according to the precept, so I would want to commit suicide. No. People have this thought of committing suicide because they have lost hope. They feel hopeless and helpless. They are facing some situation in their life where they feel like they cannot solve it. Yeah? Or they are facing some pain that is intolerable. This has nothing to do with the first precept. That action has something to do with the first precept, but that intent has very little to do with the first precept of killing. Yeah? So we must, uh, I highlighted in the precept class about this. How is this related to the thing about how poverty uh, is the breeding ground for criminality? Yeah. Similarly, I mentioned in the second precept about how, if you consider, when a person still it may be because the person is poor. Punishing him will not solve the poverty. Punishing a person who is still out of poverty will not solve the poverty. Irony is that sometimes the punishment makes the person even poorer. By putting him into jail, the whole family lose any form of income. Yeah, and may even get into bigger trouble because now maybe the family is left uh, without support. And maybe other people will come and attack the family and maybe burglarize or even you know basically kidnap the wife or the children and go and sell them off. Now you have a bigger problem. Not suggesting that as a result, when a person is poor, then it's correct to steal. But to realize that if you ask the question, is it okay to steal? Yeah, of course by the precept, stealing is against the precept. But what does it mean by that it's against the precept? It is that when you steal, you're harming others. Yeah, but it doesn't solve the question of why they steal. Sometimes, some people are habitual stealers. 
yeah, habitual thief. There are others who are professional con men. Yeah? Uh, in that case, it's not necessarily due to poverty. Uh, it's not due to poverty. So for them, the solution cannot be, hey, it's wrong to steal them. <laughs> yeah? You know what I mean? Uh, so um, understanding why people do certain things is as equal is equally important in than as to tell them, oh, the precept is this and that. So just to highlight that. So over here, um, uh, there is this series of teaching about the wheel turning monarch, and there's the mention about how uh, uh, the, the crime does happen because the people are poor. Yeah. Uh, so, any questions uh, so far for the introduction? Uh, what about the monarch? The earlier part or the later part? Both. You just blanket party the whole thing. <laughs> so the earlier part is talking about how there are those, those uh, states. There are different states in the Buddha's time. So some states are under a monarchy. Some states are under a republic. Republic means that they have ministers, they have and they 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 have decisions made collectively. Yeah, monarchy means that you have a king and the king decides on everything. Yeah. So if you think about it, two thousand five hundred over years ago, there were already establishments of republics. Yeah. So today we often think we often say, oh, ancient Greece is the birthplace of democracy of republics, but actually. It's not just ancient Greece, yeah, uh, but we can still attribute it to ancient Greece because ancient Greece is the one that spin off the other form of republics that lead to today's form. Yeah, there is no ad clear evidence of the historical trail from India that developed uh, democracy that shaped Western powers. In fact, India got colonized. <laughs> yeah. So Indian society didn't really pan out. Uh, King Asuka conquered the whole of India and some neighboring states, but didn't really go beyond to spread the ideas. Yeah. So uh, this is the first part. Uh, this is the first part uh, about the the two different types of government. Yeah. Uh, the thing that that the introduction I was highlighting that the Buddha do, do not seem to have preference of one over the other. Yeah. But at the at page one one four, uh, second paragraph, 
that venerable Bhikkhu Bodhi seemed to uh, indicate that the Buddha uh, tried to establish a certain model of government. Yeah? And then he says that the wheel turning monarch is what he established yeah? in order to uh, curb the power of the king. Yeah? But from the text, it's not evident that there was such a thought process. Uh-huh. We mentioned more frequently in the open discussion. Uh-huh. What else? What else? Uh, we must look at the text. Uh. Text. Uh. Yeah. Uh, 464. We can jump ahead first because this one is quite interesting. It, it actually applies to many to any group. So even in a company, it can apply also. Yeah. 464. Let me see. Okay, so page one, uh, one three eight. If you want to go straight to the text, <coughs> yeah, let's just go straight to one three eight, and I will read to you all the, the part. Uh, ah, okay. Sorry, it's one. It, it starts from one three seven actually. Yeah. So if you look at one three seven, the last two paragraph one dot four. Yeah. So now the are you all there? Yes. Yeah. One three seven one dot four. Now the venerable Ananda was standing behind the blessed one, fanning him, and the blessed one said, "Ananda, have you heard that the Bajans hold regular and frequent assemblies? I have heard, venerable sir, that they do. Ananda, as long as the Bajans hold regular and frequent assemblies, they may be expected to prosper and not decline." Number two, have you heard that the Bajans meet in harmony, break up in harmony, and carry on their business in harmony? I have heard, Venerable Sir, that they do. Ananda, as long as the Bajans meet in harmony, break up in harmony, and carry on their business in harmony, they may be expected to prosper and not decline. Uh, three, four, five, six, and seven is given with uh, a bridging. Have you heard that the Bajans do not authorize what has not been authorized already and do not abolish what has been authorized, but proceed according to what has been authorized by their ancient tradition? I have venerable sir. Have you heard that they honor, respect, revere, and salute the elders among them and consider them worth listening to? That they do not forcibly abduct others' wives and daughters and compel them to live with them? that they honour, respect, revere and salute the Bajan's shrines at home and abroad, not withdrawing the proper support made and given before. That proper provisions is made for the safety of Arahants so that such Arahants may come in future to live there and there and those already there may live dwell in comfort. So this is about the country. Now if you look at the next, let me see uh, um, page one three nine. Then this one is uh, for the for the uh, monks. Yeah, it's 
is like a parallel. So it mentions as long as they meet in harmony, uh, as long as the, the monks hold regular and frequent assemblies, uh, I'm going to just read the line, okay? As long as they meet in harmony and break up in harmony and carry on their business in harmony, as long as they do not authorize what has been has not been authorized already and do not abolish what has been authorized, yeah, but according proceed according to what has been authorized by the rules of training. As long as they honor, respect, revere, and salute the elders of long standing who are long ordained fathers and leaders of the order, as long as they do not fall prey to the craving that arises in them and leads to rebirth, as long as they are devoted forest lodgings, as long as they preserve their mindfulness regarding the body so that in future the good among their companies will come to them and those who have already feel, uh, come will feel at ease with them. As long as the monks hold to these seven things and are seen to do so, they may be expected to prosper and not decline. Yeah. So, um, we will come back to this text as we go through later. No? <clears throat> the happy happiness visible in this present life. Upholding the Dharma in society, the king of the Dharma. The Blessed One said, Monks, even a wheel-turning monarch, a just and righteous king, does not govern his realm without a co-region. When he had spoken, a certain monk addressed the Blessed One thus, But who, Venerable Sir, is the co-region of the wheel-turning monarch, the just and righteous king. It is the Dharma, the law of righteousness, O monk, replied the Blessed One. In this case, the wheel-turning monarch, the just and righteous king, relying on the Dharma, honouring the Dharma, esteeming and respecting it, with the Dharma as his standard, banner and sovereign, provides lawful protection shelter and safety for his own dependence. He provides lawful protection, shelter and safety for the Katiyas attending on him, for his army, for the Brahmins and householders, for the inhabitants of town and countryside, for ascetics and Brahmins, for the bird, for the beast and birds. Yeah. So, uh, so this is the opening and uh, a wheel-turning monarch, yeah. So uh, a king, uh, in this case, a co-region. That means someone who is like second in command, or someone who he he would rule the, the country with, yeah. So it's not a, another person, but instead it's the dharma. Now, um, question is, is this dharma referring to Buddha dharma, yeah? Uh, or is this Dharma referring to some principle? Yeah. Uh, we can refer it to, we can uh, think of it as referring to a set of principles. Yeah. Uh, and in this case, the principles is listed below. Yeah. Listed below. Yeah. Uh, then uh, this, uh, and also earlier in the introduction, mentioned about how uh, it includes the precepts and so on. Uh, 
Uh, in this case, the Dharma don't necessarily include the full teachings that the Buddha has given. And that's why I, I hesitate to say that it directly refers to the Buddha Dharma. Yeah. So here are a few things, a few words that is highlighted. With the Dharma, uh, relying on the Dharma, honouring the Dharma, esteeming and respecting it. With the Dharma as his standard, banner and sovereign. Yeah. So these words, standard, banner and sovereign, these are words that if you are into uh, war history, <laughs> you will be familiar. Yeah. What is a standard? A standard is basically a staff that the frontline general or the general who is leading the, the, the back army to war, uh, he don't hold it himself, but his key, key soldier will hold that. So today we use the word standard as, oh, what is the, what is the uh, expected level that everybody must follow? Yeah, we, we use the word standard in that way. But last time it refers to that staff. Yeah, uh, staff is not talking about a person. Uh. Staff is a stick with a, uh, an emblem representing the king or the general. And that standard. Why is it called a standard? It is. It is uh, something that everybody can look towards to know where is the front line. Uh, and with that front line, then he established how far you're supposed to go. If I establish a standard here, all of you must rush up and march up to that point. Yeah. So when he used these terms, uh, in those days, he wanted us to understand. Many of his disciples were kings and priests, they will understand what it means. Yeah. So I need to explain so that you know what it means. Then banner, banner is the, the sub-flex that fall under the, the, the standard yeah, to establish the whole line. So the individual contingent will fall under each banner and all the banners will follow the standard. So like nowadays in Singapore, we have the SDF, you know, always the colour. Uh, so in traditional times, those are used during war. But now who will go and carry that thing? Uh, you become a common target. Uh, you erase it up. <laughs> yeah. But in ancient times, it is a pride to hold that flag, although you are going to be killed, but that shows how courageous you are and how strong you are. You cannot shot, you still, that's why in movies they show that guy always trying to hoist up the flag. Because once that one fall, the whole rank all don't know who to follow. Yeah. You may think, stupid, I'll just call each other, last time no phone. <laughs> and during war, we say, it's, it's very noisy, nobody can hear anything. That's why they need drums, they need trumpet, and they have something visible to follow. And as long as the standard is up, everybody's morale is high. Uh, that's why, similarly, mm. when they want to attack, they attack the standard. <laughs> Bring that down, then oh, the whole line collapse. Yeah? Uh, you will see this in many of those uh, uh, period uh, war movies. Yeah? Then, as his standard, banner and sovereign. Yeah? So the word sovereign is very interesting because uh, today we say Singapore is a sovereign state. Yeah. So uh, loosely, from what I understand, the word sovereign means someone who is um, like a, a ruler, yeah, that you are independent on your own. Now, in this case, he is referring to the Dharma as the standard. That means he look up to it as, okay, this is how far we can go and not beyond. As the banner that we fall under it, 
and as sovereign. That means he is subject to the, the Dharma. Yeah. So, <clears throat> uh, in the case of the uh, will turning monarch, this is how he he relate to the Dharma. And in this way, he provides lawful protection, shelter, and safety for his own dependents. Yeah. This will refer to his, his royal family, but beyond that, he also provides for all the others, starting with the Katiyas. Katiyas is of the four classes, the second, if you follow the Brahmin class. Now we have Brahmins, the religious uh, class of Brahmins, then Katiyas. Uh, in, in Sanskrit, Kshatriyas, and it refers to the warriors. Yeah, the warriors. Typically, in a kingdom, you have the king, and then you have some of the dukes. Uh, you have all the other family who form the the whole contingent of warriors, and they may have own houses, yeah, where they are uh, have their own power, yeah, and they would fall under the king who, and they will fight the war for him, yeah. Then likewise, he has his own army. Yeah, the Chai Katiyas would have their own army. He has his own army. Yeah. Then there are the Brahmins, <coughs> householders, yeah. uh, inhabitants of town and countryside. So talking about those who are in the town city area and those who are further apart. Then lastly, uh, not lastly, then we have ascetics and Brahmins <coughs> for the bees and birds. I'm not sure over here uh, whether there's an overlap or is it meant to indicate something. Because here there's a repeat of Brahmins. Yeah, there's a repeat of Brahmins. Yeah. Yeah. So Brahmins are very interesting. They are religious, but they are householders. Perhaps this is to highlight that among the householders, there are Brahmins and householders. And then among the ascetics who are living in the in the forest, there are ascetics and Brahmins also. Yeah. Because the householders typically live nearer to the town, and there are Brahmins who are nearer to the town, and there are Brahmins who, at some point, according to the Indian culture, at some point they will, as they grow old, they will retreat into the forest also. Uh, so perhaps we'll see later. Uh, perhaps this is the distinction that he's trying to make. So, so, so the aesthetic and the Brahmins, what is the difference again? One is by birth and the other one is no. not. Brahmins are by birth. Yeah. You cannot become a Brahmin. You must be born into a yeah. Brahmin family. Aesthetics are by choice. By choice, right? Uh, okay. Does it mean this is the non-aesthetic Brahmin and this is the aesthetic Brahmin? Uh, could be. As I said, the second Brahmin could refer to those who then choose to be away from the family. Yeah. But they still have the Brahminic belief. Mm -hmm. Aesthetics are not naturally Buddhist. Uh. Uh, they can be what we call wiped out uh, okay. Then for the bees and birds, this is a summary of all the different animals. Those that is on the air and those that is in the air. So, a wheel-turning monarch is a just and righteous king who thus provides lawful protection, shelter and safety for all. Is the one who rules by Dharma only. And that rule cannot be overthrown by any hostile human being. Yeah. So, um, in, the, in the Sutra, uh, there's actually mention of different types of 
different types of returning product. Uh, those that is of the Jing Lun Wang, the golden one, golden view. Then the uh, thing, uh, metal, metal is the last. Then bronze, then metal. Uh, the one that is iron, I think iron, iron is the last. The one that is iron is the worst. He will, he actually will use force to actually suppress people. Yeah, so here is like highlighting probably the first time when no force is required. Um, I have shared with some students, I, I don't think I've shared in this class, yeah, but I've shared with some students before about how this concept of ruling by uh, Dharma or a principle is something that is very interesting. Uh, recently, uh, please stop me if I have mentioned the past two weeks. Huh? Recently, some students asked me about the state of other countries and then compared to Singapore. So I, I shared, this is my own thought. Uh, some parts, later I'll show you, I'll highlight how it's linked to what we are learning. But the first part is just my own thought. If you consider Singapore, we have moved from the 50s, 60s up to now, over 50, 50 plus years. Uh, we have changed from uh, a state where uh, we, run, we rule or we run by people away from that to by system. Now, during the British time, one could say that it's by system. Yeah? But on the ground, it's mostly based on Kanjing relation. And in the initial days, I think many of you will recall, uh, I'm actually too young to recall because I was, by the time I know anything, uh, it's already in the late 70s. Yeah? But I hear from my parents, my uncle and auntie about how uh, when they go to the bank, they go to the government stat board to apply for anything. Oftentimes, if you don't know anybody, uh, you apply for something. Uh, two weeks later, you go there, then they, they, they tell you, oh, you miss up something. They strike up the whole form, ask you to fill up again. Then you fill until then after submit again. Two weeks later, tell you, oh, you miss out any other thing. It's right. So, <laughs> yeah. or if you know uh, that then you let me copy, then no problem. Then five days later, done So last time used to be something like that. Not insinuating any particular department, but generally, yeah, look on business and so on. But today, I I've been thinking about this, you know. Today not just today, for the past how many years, you want to apply for something as your passport. You don't even need to talk to any human beings. You go online, you fill up the form, you take a photo, submit. If it's wrong, they immediately tell you. You just re resubmit immediately. You don't have to copy, copy or whatever, you know. <laughs> as long as you submit and it's accepted, then they'll tell you, you can collect the following day at what time. And they'll give you uh, the, the, the receipt to print out. Or in fact, you don't have to just bring your IC. You go to the, the, the place. You don't have to talk to any human thing. You press the number, press the button, you get a waiting queue. It's way down there. And it's, if you have the... And, and I think I think that's also the booking one. So you just go straight. You give me how many minutes. You go there and pass the IC. The person will not care whether you are Chinese, Indian or Malay. And you don't have to care whether your counter staff is Chinese, Indian or Malay or otherwise. 
today it's like that. Why? Because we move from people-based to system-based. Uh, last time, the other thing <laughs> that's quite funny is Kao Huan Si Wan. And also Kao, if you know English or not. Last time it's like that. Nowadays, don't care. You know? So, um, in many ways, here, interestingly, 2,500 years ago, the Buddha is talking about how uh, a kingdom can be run under a system, not according to how, how the king wanted it. So it's quite radical. But last thing I want to highlight about what I just mentioned. Because of this shift, I have met many people, both some friends and also monastics and devotees from places like Taiwan, Hong Kong, China, and Indonesia or Malaysia. And some of them will say, Singapore Lang Hong, yeah, because why? We have gone law by law. But if you ask any Singaporeans, law by law, oh, law by law. Yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a the delicate balance. Yeah, we have traded off that um, that that uh, in a way we got if we got convenience, but we lose that human touch. Yeah, but. Because of that, we also reduce a lot of corruption. Yeah, so give and take. Uh, when I went to Hong Kong, there was one time uh, I just went for stay for one week. So my that friend of mine uh, brought me to different places. I also go to find look at Tao Yu San or whatever. Then there was one time she brought me to San Teng. Then there's you take the escalator up. Then there's one point you must show the ticket. Then you go all the way up. Uh. So I, we bought the two two parts ticket. One to go the halfway, then the other one to go all the way up. Talk, 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 until the last part. Then I, eh, what happened to the other ticket? <laughs> she has uh, both two parts. I have one part only. Eh, eh, bully. <laughs> then I look at the counter. I mean the 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 the, the young chap. I think probably in his twenties. Look at me. I look at him. Then I'm like, in Singapore. You want to lie to me, you go down, uh, maybe not so rude, nowadays not so rude, last time, sorry, uh, please go down, nowadays, sorry sir, uh, the, 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 the ticketing counter is down the stairs, yeah? first floor, you can take the leave also, yeah, very politely tell you why it cannot be done, but that chap, he look at me, he look at my friend, he has, she has two tickets, I have one, and I told him, I don't know where he went to, in fact, I don't think I even told him, and he look at me like, so that's, I was very surprised. In Singapore, uh, I, I will relate to you later one encounter. But this is what I encountered. I took a cab, reached the destination, go to pay. Then I got a lot of quite work from my Then he's like, yeah, just give me whatever you have. <laughs> hey, in Singapore, cab, I don't know. Uh, maybe I have an encounter. But I have never taken a bus. Bus, no, not anyhow. Went up, then somehow I, that day I didn't bring any ang or whatever. So I'm like, how much money to go to where? I took out. Then she, he said, don't know how much. I said, I'm 
<laughs> and just tuck, go. Yeah, so, uh, not suggesting that we should just anyhow not follow system. Yeah, but we sometimes follow system so closely, we forget what the system is there for. Yeah. Uh, I must openly highlight to you all, I am especially at fault in this for the longest time. Because I really like law by law. I think one day I reflected, oftentimes because I, of my insistence on system, wow, a, lot of, a lot of conflict with people. So I asked myself, what is the reason why it, the following of system results in conflict? My own current understanding is, I asked myself, systems are meant to make life better, easier, smoother. But sometimes the system was established according to certain rules or conditions and principles in the past. When the conditions have changed and we still insist on it, uh, then you have that conflict. You have that conflict. If we can, if we can uh, adapt principles according to conditions, uh, then we have the best of but principles should not be readily altered. If you can anyhow change principles, then they are not principles. But similarly, if for a person everything is principle, then the person is not principle, the person is stubborn. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so next. Uh, okay, last paragraph for 115. Even so, Oma. The Tathagata, the Arahant, the perfectly enlightened one, the just and righteous king of the Dharma, relying on the Dharma, honoring the Dharma, esteeming the and respecting it, with the Dharma as his standard, banner and sovereign, provides lawful protection, shelter and safety in regard to action by body, speech and mind. He teaches us. Such bodily action should be undertaken and such should not be undertaken. Such verbal action should be undertaken and such should not be undertaken. Such mental action should be undertaken and such should not be undertaken. Yeah. So here, uh, the, the formal establishment that even the, the Buddha is subject to the Dharma. That's why in many talks I highlighted is the Buddha the center of the religion we call Buddhism? Answer is no. Yeah. I'm sure in many of the cases, classes, or talks, I, when I highlighted this, many Buddhists would be like, oh, it's called But the truth is, the Buddha never put himself as the center. Although he discovered the truth, he didn't create the truth. Although he established uh, the, the teachings, but he didn't say he, you know, he is the, the source, that he is the center of it. Yeah. In fact, in the Mahaparinibbana Sutta, uh, he even highlighted to Varapananda that he don't see himself as the leader. Yeah. Uh, not he's not the leader. Uh, he's just the discoverer of the truth, shower of the way. One six, the Tathagata, the Arahant, the fully enlightened one, the just and righteous king of the Dharma, who provides, who thus provides lawful protection, shelter, 
and safety in regard to action by body, speech and mind is the one who turns the incomparable will of the Dharma in accordance with the Dharma only. And that will of the Dharma cannot be turned back by any ascetic or Brahmin, by any Deva or Mara, or Brahma, or by anyone <coughs> in the world. Wow. This is from Anguttara Nikaya 3, colon 4. Yeah. So it's in Book 3, Sutta 14. Uh, not 4, sorry, 14. Then uh, 1, then 109 to 1, this should be 110. Yeah. Uh, so the last line is very interesting. That, and that will of the Dharma cannot be turned back by any ascetic or Brahmin, by any Deva or Mara or Brahma, or by anyone in the world. To turn back the will, it means to, uh, to, to defeat the teachings, to refute the teachings successfully. Yeah. So the Buddha is saying, this teaching yeah, cannot be refuted one. It cannot be refuted. Why? Because it's supposed to be a teaching of truth. If the teaching of truth can be refuted, then it's not the truth. But in Buddhism, we don't just say that, then we just, mm, true, true, true. We say, you must go and realize how it is the truth. Yeah? Any questions for this one? For this uh, passage? The term Tathagata is what we... Uh, translate in Chinese as Wu Lai. Yeah, Wu Lai. This phrase Tathagata actually has two meanings. Wu Lai Wu Qi. Yeah, Wu Lai Wu Qi. Uh, then in the Dhamma Sutra it says Wu Lai is a Wu 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 Lai a Wu Shi or something. Yeah. Wu Lai is Uh, not exactly. Uh, okay, the ten uh, in the Chinese Mahayana uh, Sutra, we highlighted ten epithets. Yeah, these epithets are ten individual ones. Yeah, so Tathagata is one of them. Yeah, so Tathagata it doesn't represent all ten. No? So, for example. Um, uh, in Gong, in Gong, actually, Arahant. Uh, then you have the So all of this actually has equivalent in the Pali term or Sanskrit term. Uh, so it's one to one. But in the Pali tradition, they only list out nine. However, it doesn't mean that the Buddha in Pali Canon only have nine. Actually, there's many more. But the one that they commonly recite only lists out nine. Uh, only lists out nine. Uh, yeah. So, Wu Lai and Wu Qi is the same. From what I know, the term Tathagata is referring to how it is in phrase of the Buddha saying that his coming is essentially for the good. Yeah, he, his coming into this world, uh, 
one meaning is his coming to the to this world uh, doesn't bring problem. It's a good coming, welcome. Uh, some texts actually use welcome, but not the welcome. But I think there's something to this one. Then welcome. That when he entered Parinibbana, it's really complete ending of Sunday. Yeah. It's not Sikam become one. So here there's only mention of Nagata, Arahat, and Samasambuddha. Yeah, so only only three epithets. Yeah, but in many other texts, they sometimes use this epithet, sometimes use that epithet. Oh. Uh, many times the epithets are used by uh, used by the disciples to refer to the Buddha. Yeah. Uh, why? Because in the Buddha's time, he was one of the ascetic who was teaching. So uh, he's, he's not necessarily established as the Buddha. He's just someone who has made a claim to be Buddha. Yeah, for many people, it's just like that. So you will notice previously we read some texts, right? The Kalamas, for example. And this report has been said. Uh, that means it's a competing Things like that. Yeah, so, in the past, the epithets came about because of this. Yeah, so, people speak in praise of him after having heard about him or talked to him. Usually, the Buddha referred to himself as Tathagata. Yeah. You'll see that in all the different texts, right? He almost never, I never see him say, I, what? He always say the Tathagata or what? Uh, so some suggest that this is, uh, this is due to the fact that the Buddha no longer uh, identify with this or anything as I. And it actually translates to his mannerism and his speech. You'll notice that there are some masters who also do that. And there are some Buddhists who also do that. Uh, but doesn't mean that they're, they're enlightened. Uh, but it's monkey see, monkey do. Uh, it's similar to how uh, uh, nowadays we we have this practice. Uh, like in Singapore, it's not so common. But you call any societies from Taiwan, yeah. Yeah. you call them you call anybody, they will reply Amitabha. In our Sifanli, uh, inside the, the teachings under the Vinaya for novices, we are taught when anybody call your name, you must reply Amitabha. So this, some of this practice came about uh, very interestingly. It is said that uh, it started because one of the Zhushi who Xiu Jingtu, Nian Nian Amitabha, so moment to moment, uh, every single thought is he is always having Amitabha, 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 Amitabha. So as a result, the moment someone called him, his first response, the moment he opened his mouth is Amitabha. Yeah. So, and he became known as wow, a great cultivator of pure land. Then people, what do they do? Uh, they try to emulate what they do. So, <laughs> but they, uh, if a person were to follow the whole set of practice, then there's no problem. 
but many people just copy the last part, mm. which is you just reply unmovable. But it's not near near unmovable. <laughs> yeah. He or him, he didn't try to do the oh he called me by unmovable. But instead he imbued his whole mindset, moment to moment, always think recollecting the Buddha. Uh, then you have a side effect. For him, say Amitabha is a side effect. Mm. For many cultivators, it's the key thing to do. Uh, so then you have a distinction. Mm. Huh? Okay. Uh, let me see. Okay, it's some more time. So, page 116, section 2, worshipping the six directions. So, here is where we have the Sigala Bada Sutta. Yeah, previously, in the introduction, it's mentioned. It's the San It's San Sen Jing, yes. Correct. This is also known as San Sen Jing. In Chinese Mahayana, you ask them, Sigula Bada Sutta, ah, similar. You tell them, San Sen Jing, ah, okay, I know. Uh, it's basically the same sutta. Thus have I heard, on one occasion, the Blessed One was dwelling at Rajagaha, at the bamboo grove in the squirrel's sanctuary. <coughs> So you'll notice that usually reference to the Buddha by the disciples or others, they will refer to the Buddha as Blessed One. Those who are from other schools may refer to him as Ascetic Gautama. The Buddha will refer to himself as the Tathagata. So then Sigalaka. Sigalaka is the name. Yeah? Uh, the, the, the name of the person that Buddha is talking to in this sutta. Sigalaka, the householder's son, Having gone up early and gone up of Rajagaha, was paying homage with wet cloth, clothes and hair, and with joint palms to the different directions, to the east, south, the west, the north, the nadir, and the zenith. Yeah. So, uh, zenith should be up, yeah? nadir is down. No? So you can imagine early in the morning, wet clothes, and then hair also wet. Uh, and in the Indian tradition, they typically don't cut their hair. Yeah, because uh, they have this belief that uh, the body is a, a gift from is it parents or from Brahma, so they cannot damage it. Yeah, so they keep, some who are very strict, uh, they will keep bodily hair, they don't shave any, any part at all. The hair all, all will be burned up. That's why some of them would wear the turban and so on. Uh, different variations of it. So you can imagine this person with all the hair wet, whole body wet, you know, clothes are wet, whole body wet. Uh, then joint palms, then paying respects, uh, homage, uh, paying respect to the different directions. And the Blessed One, having risen early and dressed, took his robe, bowl and went to Rajagaha for arms. And so you can see from this opening that the Buddha himself also go for arms round. Uh, having uh, risen early and dressed. So after that, took his robe and bow. So what does that mean? So uh, you would have heard of the triple robe. Yeah? The triple robe. Triple robe in the Buddha's time, it meant the lower rope, yeah, the lower rope, then the upper rope. Both are single piece. 
yeah, single layer piece. So lower rope and upper rope. And then there's a third set of rope which is double layer. In one of the sutta, uh, the origin of the, this set of ropes came about. Yeah, where in the first watch, <coughs> he was sitting comfortably with only one set of rope. Then in the middle of the night, he felt, wow, getting a bit cold. So he put on one more layer. Then after that, uh, after some time, still cold. So he put on another layer. Yeah, so this came about to have the double layer um, outer rope. So we typically have these three sets. Yeah. The first two are single layer and the third one is double layer. Yeah. So here, when it says that the Buddha you know, dressed, then it's lower and upper layer, and then took his rope and bow. The, took his rope, that part would be the outer double layer. Yeah. So today, you, if you look at uh, Theravadan monks in Thailand or in some countries, uh, some of them would actually do that, yeah. But because most monks nowadays, uh, they, other than going on arms round, they will stay in the monastery, yeah. So many times they may not bring along the double layer. So what they will do is they will basically put on the lower and upper rope, and you will see that they will wrap up, covering the whole body, because there is actually a rule about that when we enter vicinity with lay people, then we will cover ourselves neatly. Yeah. Um, uh, so you can you can sort of visualize how this happened and then he would go to Rajagaha, which is a city, for arms. <coughs> mm. Rajagaha is I think what we call Wang Sechen. And seeing Sigalaka paying homage to the different directions, he said, Householder's son why have you got up early to pay homage to the different directions? Venerable Sir, my father, when he was dying, told me to do so. And so, out of respect for my father's words, which I revere, honour and hold sacred, I've got up early to pay homage in this way to the six directions. But householders, householders' son, that is not the right way to pay homage to the six directions according to the noble one's discipline. Well, venerable sir, how should one pay homage to the six directions according to the noble one's discipline? It would be good if the blessed one would teach me the proper way to pay homage to the six directions according to the noble, dis noble one's discipline. So, a few things to note here. Uh, I've sort of highlighted beforehand when we were in the introduction, and it is that first thing, when the Buddha sees someone practicing something else, uh, he he don't launch into a oh uh, you are wrong or all right. Yeah. Instead, he says um, this is not right according to something else. According to what? According to the noble one's discipline. Yeah. So. He also don't shy from making a comment, yeah, but he highlight something else instead. So uh, now, and if you think about it, uh, this can be seen as an example where, uh, if you see someone doing a certain practice that may not be hundred percent Buddhistic, then instead of just saying this is wrong, you should we can highlight how. 
the, the, the practice can be adapted to Buddhist teaching. Yeah, because here if you look, then listen and attend carefully, householder's son, I will speak. Remember how many times Sufu have to ask your listen, listen. Not just Buddhas, not just Sufu say this, uh, even Buddha have to say this. Yeah. Why? Because people like to don't listen, not listen. Uh. <laughs> yes, Venerable Sir Sigalaka said. The Blessed One said this. Yeah. So, um, you notice that there's a dot 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 here. Because in fact, the whole sutta is much longer. Yeah. The Buddha didn't start off immediately with this. If you look at the paragraph 1, then 2, and that's, we, we jump straight to 27. Yeah, so here, uh, the reference is strictly going straight into the six directions. Yeah? Uh, whereas in the whole sutta, it actually covers more than that. Uh, covers more than that. So let's just look at this. And how, how so this son, does the noble disciple protect the six directions? These six things are to be regarded as the six directions. The east denotes mother and father. The south denotes teachers. The west denotes wife and children. The north denotes friends and companions. The nadia, which is downwards, denotes servants, workers and helpers. The zenith denotes ascetics and brahmins. There are five ways in which a son should minister to his mother and father as the eastern direction. He should think, having been supported by them, I will support them. I will perform their duties for them. I will keep up the family tradition. I will be worthy of my heritage. After my parents' deaths, I will distribute gifts on their behalf. And there, there are five ways in which the parents so ministered to their two by their son as the eastern direction, will reciprocate. They will restrain him from evil, support him in doing good, teach him some skill, find him a suitable wife, and in due time, hand over his inheritance to him. In this way, the eastern direction is covered, making it at peace and free from fear. If you look at this, this is about parent and child. But the focus here is on son. Yeah? But I would say that some of it does apply to, to daughters as well. Uh, if you look at the duties of the, of the child, of, of the son to the parents, having been supported by them, I will support them. So, uh, in today's society, this cannot be overemphasized. Huh? Many, many young people uh, not to mention about fully supporting them. There are many um, young people in their twenties uh, study for so many years, come out and work for one year. Hmm. I don't think this is what I want to do with my life. Then just quit without finding another job, and then expect the parents to take care of them. <laughs> you know, I have seen so many uh, young people doing that. Uh-huh. I want to buy a car, like, uh-huh. our office is a one-stream, uh, auntie. Uh-huh. He said, yeah, my, my son, uh, my sister, uh, also, uh, still, uh, 
they depend on me [lah] then [ah] if I'm short (err) I mean short of money or or whatever [ah] just asking from parents [one] they still asking [one] (mm) so !aiya! this is the state of affairs [lah]
Uh, I almost want to say. <laughs> uh, this one is different. This one is uh, Christina's family. <laughs> but in the movies, it's not like that. Movie is like that. Uh, is everything okay? Hey, Daddy is sorry. Can can I come in? No, I hate you. Come on, huh? Something like that. Daddy is coming in, okay? No, don't come in. This is my private space. You have no right to come in. What kind of rubbish? <laughs> what kind of private space? The trouble is, we we have been watching Western media, but they are not wrong, no. They portray what is in that country. But after we our kids watch this, our kids think that this is this is the way, ma. And the best thing is, young parents watch this. This is the way, ma. <laughs> but is this the way? I'm not saying this is right or wrong. I'm saying if we want to watch this and follow this, then you must accept that the whole structure, the whole framework. You want to behave like Westerners where parents and child are friends, then you must accept that one day your child will call your name. Then you must accept that as friends, nothing wrong, Sifu is not against this, but you must remember, friends and friends are, don't have to listen to each other one, you know. You can give me suggestion. We are friends. Yeah, but I don't have to follow you. That's why Sifu always highlight to the students. Remember, I'm not your friend. I'm your Sifu. If you're going to call me Sifu, you must treat me as Sifu, not as a friend. Friend, I don't mind. I, I'm not so hard up to be Sifu. No. But if you treat me as a friend and you want me to treat you as a friend, then don't expect me to give you advice. <laughs> then we just friend, friend. Yeah, I, I'm like that. <laughs> no such thing as friend, friend. No, no, no such thing. But unfortunately, in Singapore, we borrow that, we follow that culture through movies. Then we follow the child psychologist that is based on all the theories developed in the West. What is the environment that they develop all these theories from? The kind of environment that is Western. So sometimes I wonder if you borrow a system from a country that is better than ours, then good. But the discipline of their children is worse than ours. Eh? Then we go and borrow theirs. <laughs> so I, I think Western one part is good is... Uh, which part? <laughs> when they become adult, they are asked to invite to go all the way. <laughs> you think that's good? Huh? To be independent. Yes. To be independent. If they stay yes. together, they will This when, when they are friend to friend, <laughs> then by the time 21 years old, they, actually I, I met one New Zealand uh, family. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, they, they do. They, they do get ready to ask the doctor to go away. Mm. By, now, by, we must know that, now. but you, we must also know that when we think about Westerners, uh, there, there are many different countries that is called Western countries. Uh, American, Australia, New Zealand, then you have Europe. Europe is actually very complex. They are not all like Americans. Yeah. Uh, so if we, if we just consider US, Australia, and maybe New Zealand, yes, they do do that. But not in many European countries. Italy, for example. France, for example. Uh, some of these countries, they are actually very strong in family bond. From what I know in Italy, their lunch break is super long. So that they can go back home to have lunch. Yeah. 
Yeah. So not all countries are like America. Yeah. But it, I mean, but I digress. Huh? Yes. Do you find that that is good? Uh, I think it should be independent. I, I feel so. Children should be independent. When they show out and they see life in the 30s, then I think they really appreciate back what what parents are set up the family. I feel so, I'm not sure the, the outcome. I don't know, but I feel that just we have people uh, like you say, practice the Western style, independent at home. Then that same habit bring to even middle age and still stick at home. So <laughs> what happened is that they develop a kind of uh, individualism of the Western, but they did adopt the okay. You want to be individual, then by twenty one years you go out. Then you go out to society, get hit by society. Mm. You learn. Yes. So I think that is a complete set of uh, culture. But then we take the different the bad part only. We we get individual <laughs> at home. Then become a pest at home yeah. until thirty years old, thirty five years old. Yeah. Then get married forty years old. Yes. And then the parent no longer to invite them out. Yes. So become a pest ah, I, so so I think the Western has a set of balance thing. Okay, I, I treat you like a friend, but friend twenty one years old, we are we are separate. Uh, I think we are distant friend. Yes. So do you do that for your family? I don't know, I just observe so I just <laughs> But you say it's good. <laughs> <laughs> you say it's good. <laughs> oh you, you say it's good, so do you do it? I I do you, do you have kids first? I have three years. How old are they? So are you gonna invite them out? <laughs> so so you admire it? Yes. Or maybe I let me help you here. Yes. Maybe what you are saying is if a person wants to adopt Western values, you must you must adopt it lock, stop and barrel. You must adopt the whole thing. You cannot adopt it halfway. You cannot pick and choose. I don't want this one. I don't want that one. Which is what many families do. Yeah. In fact, many parents they come to me and then they oh, come crying. Oh my my child. Blah, blah, blah. So I ask them. So I talk to them. I don't jump to conclusion. And sure enough, many of them adopt halfway here, halfway there. They adopt that friend friend. Why? Because they need that emotional support from their children. But then they are, they are still stuck with the motherland. Fatherland. So they still want to be the traditional parent when it comes to certain things. So this is the first conflict. Uh, what you are highlighting is the other part of the conflict, which is uh, friend, it, the, the child may want to be friend friend with the parent, but then when it comes to staying in the house, no, no, you're my father, you must let me stay. Uh, so maybe yeah. this is what you yeah. Yeah. Doesn't mean that you agree. Yes. Uh, okay, okay, then it's okay. But we still need to observe what is. What, what would be the bad things if you do this way, what would be the bad things if you yeah, do There are repercussions. Yes. Uh, as I said, for me, uh, how, your, how anybody, not just your, how anybody want to adopt this way or that way or mixture is your choice. But there's cons- there are consequences. Uh, like, if a person were to adopt full Western model, 18 years old, Maybe in Singapore, 21 years old, or you finish your studies, you must leave the house. Uh, but if you ask them to leave the house, then you may not be able to expect that they must take care of you. Mm. Yeah. Are we ready to do that? Mm. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, no pocket money, but. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so there's this this question uh, how do we look at this relation? Yeah, because in Western countries they move out then they are independent. Mm-hmm. That's that your that's that's your life, this is my life. Don't kind of disturb uh, me. That's why the Western country uh, they are the society Some yeah. are, some. Yeah, it's quite a common thing. Our, our government keep our CPF. Hopefully, yeah, keeps everything. Keep the CPF. Keep the CPF is that for you to you don't need to depend on your 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 shoes because they, I mean, they, it's it's not the government. The government will, will, will go and use their their, their money yeah, to pay. Yeah, use your own money to pay. Yeah, that's why the government have uh, money uh, to develop the economy. So they they look at. Okay. So good and bad. Yeah. So with that, I want to hang on up. Uh, the wisdom is not here. So any other, uh, wait, actually we haven't finished the whole verse. Huh? Let us finish this. So we'll support them, we'll perform their duties for them. Yeah, We'll keep up the family, family tradition. We'll be worthy of my heritage. Yeah. So supporting them, uh, performing duties for them. In other words, uh, in due time, when the parents need to be supported, in various ways, uh, they will be there to take care of them. Yeah. So this is very Asian. Yeah, very Asian. We'll keep up the family traditions. This in Chinese will be our jia feng. Yeah, jia feng. That means our family has this kind of certain qualities. Yeah, you should keep up that tradition. Of course, here I must highlight if for some families you have some funny taboo or some funny tradition of for every year must kill one chicken then. <laughs> so some things you have to use our wisdom. Uh, doesn't mean that if it's a bad tradition, you still continue the bad tradition. Yeah. Uh, the, well, this let's say let's say uh, there's some family. Uh, the, the father start hey, uh, don't have to pack one one uh, then oh uh, father uh, this tradition you must keep this tradition. <laughs> yeah. So tradition is a question mark. Okay? Uh, here we should assume that a good, good family tradition. I will be worthy of my heritage. Uh, so the parents in due time will, will pass down the inheritance. Uh, in what way can a person be worthy of the heritage? Heritage, uh, I would think of it as not just the, 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 the material heritage. But to become, let's say, um, now you are the, the the chief of this clan, for example. Yeah. Now, oh, uh, from our family tree, now you are the eldest son, uh, or you are the son, and you take 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 on the the, the lineage of this family. Yeah. Uh, this is one form of heritage. Then it means that it's linked to the previous one, the family tradition. 
But it also means that we should be upright, we should be honest, we should not bring shame to the family. So, after my parents' death, I will distribute gifts on their behalf. So this is very interesting. Yeah? Uh, this is one instance where the Buddha mentioned about what children can do for their parents after they have passed away. Yeah? Go and distribute gifts on behalf of their parents. Yeah? So this is a very direct way of helping them accumulate merits. And there are five ways in which parents so ministered to by their son as the eastern direction will reciprocate. So they restrain him from evil. Yeah. Uh, but you can only restrain so much. Huh? Yeah. But as parents, it is your duty. Whether they listen or not, that's their, their choice. But as parents, it is our duty. And again, I highlight young parents this is. You are not so young anymore, so I'm not talking about you. <laughs> I'm talking about those in their late 20s or early 30s. Yeah? I see a lot of parents, yeah. only know how to show, shower them with love, but don't know how to discipline them. Yeah? Why? Again, it's, it boils down to many parents are afraid that their children don't love them. So I've been highlighting in parenting classes in the past. Parenting is not a popularity contest. Yeah. I, you have no idea how many parents I've counseled where the two are mm-hmm. yeah, the, the two parents are vying for attention, vying for love from the children. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. yeah. So father well, try to shower with love and so-called love, uh, buy things, uh, then try to win the favor. Then Beyond doing that, mother set down a rule, father tau tau a so whole. So this some people say, oh but sipu, black face and white face ma, we must have someone to be the good guy ma. Actually, in my opinion, a lot of parents do the bad, bad guy, good guy wrongly. Bad guy, good guy, both follow the same rule. It cannot be that, oh, good guy, bad guy, go and set down the rule, then good guy, go and break the rule. That is not good guy, bad guy. That is police and crook. Good guy, bad guy should be both parents have a, have a private meeting to decide what is the rule, house rule. And I always highlight to parents who come to me in the counseling, Shifu has no right to tell you what rule to set. Who has to set? Then they look at each other, look at me. Who are? You know, <laughs> and I, keep, I have to highlight to many parents this rule is set by only parents, not by children. Huh? You don't have to discuss with children. Don't have to consult them. So, a lot of parents think, oh, must be dem- dem- have democracy, democracy in the family. I tell them. There are some things you can let them choose, and you should let them choose. Yeah, but their house rules cannot be decided by them. You, the moment you engage them to this to this decision, then the the trouble is, are your children old enough to reason? I often tell parents, 讲道理是对，但是道理是两个懂道理的人讲的。Young kids, they don't know reason. They, they really don't understand. So the, the trouble nowadays is some parents say, 
Ih, bahasa aku Bukanlah, no, my kids are very smart one eh. Who say he's not smart? But the problem is that Kids these days Their vocabulary is very wide So give you a false sense of wisdom And they themselves also don't know What they're talking about half the time And then we, we think that they know So when parents think Have this kind of opinion Then they think that they must go and reason everything Then they spend their whole life Just explaining things Or cannot implement anything So, so, so imagine uh, as adults learning Dharma, even applying it in our life is not easy. Then how about kids? We don't even talk about Dharma, la. we talk about just common sense. La. Kids, if kids by birth have common sense, then adults should have. La. But we can see a lot of adults don't have common sense. Or, so because kids don't by default have common sense. Yeah, so um, a lot of parents, they just want to sign the kid. Uh, two, two more things to highlight about parenting. Uh. You notice nowadays you look at family photos, many pa- many family, not all, uh, the kid is in the center and then the parents are leaning towards the son. And then the son, if it's a baby, okay, baby just down there, look at what this is. But then even when they grow up, the, the children is in the center and then the, the two father, mother, like, uh, the two father, mother is the, the son or the daughter is the Fuzhou. Yeah, and the best thing is, I've seen photos, mother and daughter. If both person like that, yeah, two person like that, okay. The son, the, the daughter like that, then the, then the, the mother, like, like, you know. and, and I tell you, you go and observe, you observe boy-girl photo, you observe parent photo, is that this whoever did who most will lean. Go back and check. Go and check. I'm not criticizing saying this is right or wrong. Uh. But you, you just look at a photo, you know. You look at those teenage boy and girl who like who most will lean. So some of them you see both leaning. Hey, very, very nice. But when the moment you see one like that, see, see, like that, then the other one leaning over. <laughs> then you know who need who most who more you know and, and again nothing wrong with that but it's, it shows then you, you after that reflect on who who have to accommodate to who <laughs> uh, so I recently my cousin yeah, just gave birth to a is it a son I also don't know whether son or daughter I think it's son so well, very proudly took a photo and then post online you know what I wrote? I said, very nice. Or I said, nice. Can't wait, uh, can't wait to see a photo of you and your father. Yeah. And after that, when I met my uncle, I told him about it. Then he said, yeah, uh, Ivan told me. <laughs> Why do I want to highlight that? Because it's a joyful thing to have a young child. Young, you know, a, a new born. Uh. But hey, you don't forget about gratitude. Uh. You don't have your father, you have your son. Uh. And then most young couple, wow, not just like that, then wow, and all the photos, whole album, all about the son. Then after that, 10 years later, 
come and cry to me. 师父, how come my son is so self-centered? How self-centered? The whole life all about him. Of course, how can he not be self-centered? From the photo, you can see the whole family is making him self-centered. Of course, unless he's a cultivator. Otherwise, normal people will become self-centered. Yeah. So I told him, go and take a photo with your father in the center of the family. Yeah. It doesn't have to be father, father, mother. Yeah. Grandfather, grandmother should be in the center. Then the... Ah, so that's the other problem. Ah. Yeah, I mean the principle is but but love can be expressed in many ways. Yeah, and that's why last thing that's why when you attend lunch gathering with Sifu, Sifu, if the age group is more or less the same, then I don't explicitly say anything. But if there's a huge, like from very young to old, teenagers to old, or our senior, I will highlight seniors go first. Why? In many gatherings, especially family gatherings, all the children eat first. When I was young, it's not, no, it is senior eat first. Ama and all the, all my, my father and uncles, and maybe uh, in, in the past, uh, traditionally, Maybe the, the first daughter-in-law get to sit together. The other daughter-in-law also sit one side. No? Then the first grandson get to join in. Yeah. Then after the first round finished, the rest of us just waiting. <laughs> <laughs> then after first round finished, then second round, the second tier grand, grandson all go in. And then, but big enough table, then granddaughter also go in. Yeah. But nowadays, Young children all eat first. So you expect them to not be self-centered? But many parents say, Hey, but Sifu, if you don't make them eat first, they don't finish their food. <laughs> so you know what I told? You know, there was one mother and son, the mother complained about this. So I said, the problem is, children these days have never experienced hunger. And you know what happened? Right in front of me, the son asked, Why is that? What is the meaning of hunger? <laughs> it's not just about the English word, no. The fact is that he never experienced it before. So I told many parents, look for yao tifai. Yao The trouble is nowadays, children, the whole day, they have free access to food anytime, tidbits, whatever. And there will always be, there will always be some akong ama to come and talk to how? So of course by the time it's lunch time or dinner time, this one I don't like, that one I don't like. If the, the child is super hungry, you give him plain rice, he also gobble it down, you know. So it's not one problem, it's the whole oh, anyway. I think we have to continue next week. Otherwise, we'll be staying until then. So, first up, please. Yuan Xiao San Zhang Zhu Fan Lao. Yuan Xiao San Zhang Zhu Fan Lao. Yuan Da Zhi Hui Zhen Ming Lao. Yuan Da Zhi Hui Zhen Ming Lao. Hu Yuan Zui Zhang Xi Xiao Su. Hu Yuan Zui Zhang Xi Xiao Su. Shi Shi Chang Xing Pu Sa Dao. Shi Shi Chang Xing Pu Sa Dao. Amitabha. Amitabha.